Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Choice Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Gail Goodman-Lynch. In today's episode, we'll be looking at better choices that three women have made that are creating the life that they want. I've started to notice the word kind popping up a lot recently in conversations, in news stories and podcasts, and even on bumper stickers. In fact, I've seen quite a few bumper stickers recently that carry the exact message, be kind. Maybe you've noticed that as well. And in equal measure, I've noticed a lot of people talking about the path to kindness as being one of mind, body, and spirit. Now, I remember years ago, I took a Taekwondo class with my husband. I didn't know much about Taekwondo at the time, but I did know that it involved a lot of punching and kicking and breaking boards and bricks and so on. What I didn't know was that Taekwondo was much more than a martial art or a sport. Taekwondo is a discipline that involves a mind-body-spirit approach to enhance both your connection to spirit and your life. And what was most remarkable to me was that the grandmaster who taught the class was one of the kindest, most serene people I had ever met, well, at least up to that point in my life. A tornado could have suddenly blown through the building, and he'd probably remain just as calm and centered in that moment as he always was. It was really quite inspirational for me to be in his presence and to learn from him. The common theme among the three women whom I've spoken with for this episode is that each has made a choice that aligns with either mind, body, or spirit. They each took a different approach to find their own truth, but their stories are connected because one started by retraining her mind, another started by healing her body, and the third took a leap of faith. Now, on the subject of kindness, we'll start this episode with comments from Louisa Garrett. Louisa is a kindness coach, speaker, and self-described hug-giver. I met Louisa several years ago after I found her profile on LinkedIn, and her profile title read, Kindness Expert. And, well, you know, who wouldn't want to know more about that person, right? So when we first met, she told me the story of how she chose to make kindness her passion. Here's how it came about. So I have 26 nieces and nephews, and they are the absolute lights of my life. I love them dearly. And one of them lived with me during her high school years. So you get this 14-year-old, and as you know, you have a teenager. They are angsty. They are moody. Uh, <laughs> no. They, yeah, they are sullen at times. And so I would tell her, you know, do your homework, clean your room. And every time I would tell her to do something, she would say, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Well, this is pre-kindness Louisa, right? And so pre-kindness Louisa was very sarcastic. So I'm sure that when I was telling her to do these things that I wasn't saying it in the most kind way. But at that time, I was like, just do what I'm telling you to do. (laughs) (laughs) And she would all at every, it didn't, it never failed every single time. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. So this went on for about, you know, eight months or so. It, it went on for a, a very long time. And um, every single time, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And then someone said something to me, you know, eight months down the road, you know, after she had been telling me this practically every single day, someone said something to me that was off the wall. And in my head, I thought to myself, 
why did you say it like that? And then as soon as I thought to myself, why did you say it like that? Her little 15 year old voice popped in my head and said, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And so I had to take a breath. I had to take a pause. And I was like, if I want my nieces and nephews to be productive citizens of this world, to be kind humans, to show up in love, um, I need to start doing that because I am very involved in their lives, right? And so if they see me being sarcastic, if they see me being snarky, if they see me always amped up and ready to go, then that's how they're going to be. And so in that moment, when her voice popped in my head and said, it's not what you say, it's how you say it, I made a decision. I decided that I was going to be kinder. I was going to do my absolute best to be kinder. Now, it didn't, it didn't happen right then, right? So I made the decision and I was like, all right, let's go. I'm going to be kinder. And, uh, but as soon as I made that decision, everything started to get harder, right? More stuff started to pile up on me where I just wanted to explode, but I had to take pause and think about what I was going to say, how I was going to respond. And sometimes that took three or four thoughts in my head before I came to them and said, oh, you know what? I can say that. <laughs> no, Louisa, you can't say that. You can't respond that way. Mm, oh, no, no, that's a good one. Say that. And so it's about, you know, just taking a moment to pause and really think about what you're going to say. Now, it's easier for me now because it's been uh, almost 12 years. But at the very beginning, the first two years of my kindness journey was a test. It was hard. Um, I failed miserably often. And so, um, but once I started exercising that kindness muscle, it became easier. And I still have my moments. I still have my moments where I'm like, oh, you could have done better in that moment. But we're human and we're going to falter. But it's not about being stuck in it. Just because you have a bad moment doesn't mean you're going to have to have a bad day. Just because someone says something crazy to you at 10, 15 a.m. doesn't mean that you have to carry that through until 5 p.m. Like it was a moment. It wasn't the greatest. You didn't operate in your best, but you can change the very next moment. And so started Louise's journey. It began with a specific choice, which then created an intention to retrain her mind and her thoughts. And while it may sound easy, it isn't just like flipping a switch. Our habits of thought are created by a lot of repetition. And if we're repeatedly thinking negative thoughts, our autopilot runs on that negative program. It takes time to reprogram the powerful computer that is our mind to automatically run a new and better program. But as Louisa found, the mind is quite trainable when you put the time and effort into it. But you have to make the choice to start. Louisa told me it took her about two or three years for her to be kind consistently. And along the way, she also found that she had to draw upon courage to keep going because at times the path to kindness was a lonely road. So when I decided to start showing up differently, people wanted me to, to bring me back to sarcastic Louisa, right? And when I would say, oh, that, that, that wasn't the nicest thing to say, I would get, well, you used to say the same thing. And they weren't wrong because I did. 
And so it amplifies who I am now because I am more aware of how connected we are in this world. Like we belong to each other. And if we want this world to be better, if we want this world to shine brighter, then we have to start individually shining brighter. And when you start amplifying your light, it will shine on people, but it will also blind some people. And the people that it blinds, maybe some people that are very close to you who have been with you for years, for decades, all of your life, but they're not ready to take this next step with you. When I met Louisa, I wasn't necessarily an unkind person or even really a sarcastic one, but I certainly had my moments, many of them, in fact, because I wasn't always conscious of my behavior. Meeting her inspired me to take notice of my words, and I truly believe that I am a better person for it. The more she spreads kindness, the more people Louisa can reach with her message. So I asked her if she felt the path to kinder would become more crowded. I think, and I believe this to the core of my being, that people are more good than not, that there is more good in this world than not. But because negativity and drama, um, it shouts. That's why my thing is make kind loud because negativity shouts. It's just so loud, right? But there's good people doing good things in this world, more so than the negative. But because there is a um, stigma, I guess, around being kind, people don't necessarily want to amplify that because they don't want to appear to be weak. And being a kinder person is the strongest thing I've ever done in my life, right? And so you think, people think, that being kind is being weak, but it's not. It's standing in your purpose. It's standing tall in who you are. It's it's shining your light. It's showing up. It's doing all of the hard things that people don't necessarily see until they start their own journey. That's why I say everybody has their own journey. And you can't fault people for being where they are in their journey because there was a time that I was in that exact same spot, right? But you keep shining your light. You keep you keep showing up and you keep spreading the message of love. And then you'll have other people join you. So, yeah, I think it will become more crowded. It's just going to be uh, this is not as fast as the the drama and the negativity. Just imagine how the world could be. It could be so much beautiful, more beautiful than it already is. And I know I am in awe of us as humans and I am in awe of this world um, because I can, I can see it. I can see how beautiful and loving and kind it can be if everyone just, you don't even have to, you know, totally ratify your life. You don't have to make huge, you know, turns and twists. If you were just kinder 2% more than you are right now, just imagine if every, all 7 billion of us, decided that we were just going to be 2% kinder than what we are. How would that shift this world? How do we become more kind? I asked Louisa to give us her best advice. You know what? This question always trips me up because I do think it's a personal thing. But if I were to give some tips, I would say uh, 
breathing, meditation, prayer, whatever you decide to call it, but just taking a moment every morning before you get out of bed and just centering yourself and say, okay, this is going to, this is a new day. Uh, I'm not going to allow the negativity from yesterday to creep into this day. We're going to show up as kind as we can be and then make that intention for the day. Now, days happen and stuff happens throughout the day that uh, tests you. But if you set the intention that you want to be kinder before you even get out of bed, then I think that is is huge, is huge. And then uh, I think the second thing is just a smile. You know, people, when you see someone smile, you can't help but to smile, even if you're in a bad mood, right? Yep. You see someone smile, you're just like, even if you're in a bad mood, it might be a, but, <laughs> but it still triggers something in you. So smile as much as you can throughout the day. Um, and also, but feel your feelings. So if you are hurt, if you are sad, if you are frustrated, it's okay to feel those feelings, but don't sit in the feelings. If you need further evidence of a smile lighting up a room, I invite you to check out Louisa's Facebook page. Her handle is Louisa Garrett, and she has, I kid you not, a 10 gigawatt smile. There you will find out more about Louisa the person. Plus, she records a daily inspirational message each morning that will help you get started with kindness every day. You can also learn more about her upcoming Kindness Summit and her kindness mission on her website, makekindloud.com. With a sparkle in your eye, forever young. Every moment this is life, take it as it comes. Louisa is a great example of a master of the mind. And thanks to the work that she's done training her mind, She's been inspiring others and raising the level of consciousness on the planet every day since she made her choice. Another aspect of the mind and our emotions is our subconscious mind. Because it's difficult to put language to an emotion, our conscious mind, the rational supercomputer, if you will, really does a poor job of interpreting emotion. So that job falls to our subconscious mind and, by extension, our body to support whatever the subconscious mind directs it to do. So just as the name implies, it's the part of us that operates without our awareness. But at the same time, it is hyper aware, storing all of our memories, beliefs, and attitudes that shape who we are. And the most important point about the subconscious is that its primary goal is to keep us safe. When emotional disruptions or traumas occur, our subconscious mind can store information about these events and use it later to keep us from experiencing the same trauma again. Now, when a number of these traumas pile up in our overall body system, we start to see dis-ease, and it can range in severity from something like a headache all the way up to heart attacks and cancer. A lot of these issues start to occur in midlife because the body's been bearing the effects of these traumas for a long time. Another way the subconscious may work to keep us safe is by creating extra body weight. It's like armor for protection. My next guest, Sue Chandler, found herself in midlife struggling with weight loss and ready to really find a permanent solution. Sue made the choice to find something new, and she found tapping, 
which is also known as Emotional Freedom Technique, or EFT. This set her on the path of healing her body, mind, emotions, and spirit. Eventually, it created a new career and purpose for her. It started when she did research and saw a set of videos from a practitioner under whom she'd eventually trained. And his name is Robert G. Smith with Faster EFT. Robert was interviewing this kid that had been there for three months. And I think his name was Nick. And Nick was a meth heroin addict. And so, Nick, how you doing? Uh, I'm good. So you've been here three months, right? Yeah. So you've been a meth heroin addict. Yep. Um. So how do you know you're a meth heroin addict? Oh, I really, I know. So, so <laughs> if I give you a, the title to a truck and the keys to this truck with out in the parking lot with a lifetime supply of all the meth and heroin that you could stand, what are you going to do? Um, I'm out of here. You will never see me again, and I'll probably be dead in a week, right? Okay, well, walk me through this. I've never been an addict before. Show me how you do this. And and Nick was walking him through the process of taking the little, you know, showing him, pretending he was wrapping his arm with the rubber hose thing and taking the needle to his arm and pretending he was lighting up a spoon. And, and you could tell just a few minutes in, this kid was starting to itch. He was starting to sweat. I mean, he just by talking about it, he put himself in what we call a trance. Everybody thinks that uh, they have to be hypnotized in order to be in a trance. But all of us are in a trance all day long. We just don't identify it as that. You go to, you go to work in the morning and and it's a 10-minute drive and you don't remember how you got there, right? You were in a trance on the freeway right <laughs> so this kid is in his trance and he robert even pulled back a a cloth on a card table and he had stuff on that table and the kid knew that it wasn't real he had white powder and he had spoons and needles and rubber hoses and and the kid, you could just see him about ready to climb out of his skin. Wow. And said, so you really want this bad, don't you, Nick? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he took him back for a tapping session. It was a couple hours. He didn't record that part. But two hours later, he brings Nick back out and starts the interview again. So, Nick, how you doing? Doing good. Feeling okay. Yeah. Really. So you're telling I've I've still got that truck out in the parking lot, lifetime supply, all the the drugs and heroin meth that you could stand. Here's the title and the keys. What are you gonna do? I don't want it. Wow. I could kill this. What? Come on. And he pulled back the thing and he touched and he walked him through the story again. And he was just cool as a cucumber. Just walked through it like a story, like nothing else. No sweats, no anxious no nothing it was just a detached story for him i thought this is nuts one session and the kid is no so i researched a little more and found another interview that robert did about six months later the kid is still clean and i'm like okay six months still i'm not convinced <laughs> i researched a little more 
and found a video of him three years later. And Nick is still clean and sober. And he's actually part of, was at the time, part of the staff at Habilitat. The tapping gave him a new coping skill that he could deal with. That's why we turned to the sex, drugs, and rock and roll to start with, right? Is because there is something that we are trying to avoid, some kind of pain somewhere. We don't want to deal with it. So we turn to something that numbs it out, whatever that is for us, shopping or food. You know, here I am. Sue had tried diet after diet and even joined Alcoholics Anonymous, which you may know deals with all kinds of addiction. She joined an AA codependency group, but she wasn't getting the results that she wanted after many years of trying. When I saw that third video, that was, I don't care if this cost me a million dollars, I have to be involved. That's when that bubbled up inside me. And part of it was because you mentioned 12-step, and I come from a 30-plus year background of in and out of 12-step from the codependent side, from the Al-Anon side of 12-step. And I've been a little frustrated with it. I The program is a great program, and it helps a lot of people. I was in it long enough to see that it, it frustrated me. It's like, how do some people come into program and they latch onto it and just soar and they do great? And then there's others that have been in for 20 years or so, and they still have to go to three or four meetings a week to in order to stay clean or sober. And they're they're what we call white knuckling it. Why do some people latch on and do fine and others struggle their entire lives. And that was always part of my frustration. And being able to find something like tapping that can actually change that programming to where you naturally don't want it anymore was a game changer for me. What we put our attention on grows. And as Sue explains it, we can put our intention on the wrong things. Through tapping, she's found a way to reprogram thinking to place intent on what's possible rather than focus on what's broken. I remember the day that I think it was the very first level of training that I had, level one training, Robert stood in front of us and kind of pointed his finger at us and said, you are not broken. You are successfully producing an undesirable outcome based on what you hold in your unconscious. And and that just kind of blew me away. And then he followed, followed that up by saying, and you will be just as successful at producing a desirable outcome once we change that programming. And I just felt this heavy weight lift off my shoulders when he said that especially coming from the the 12-step background. Every meeting, you stand up and reinforce how broken you are. Hi, my name is Sue. I'm I'm a codependent. Hi, my name is Sue. I'm an alcoholic. I'm, I'm a meth addict. Hi, I'm every single meeting. You are identifying as that broken person. And when he said and proved to me through the, the training, that I'm not broken, 
I am successfully producing an undesirable outcome. I've just got to change the driver of my bus back here because because your body will do anything that it can to keep you alive. And it will do anything in its power to keep you what it believes is safe. So if you had some kind of trauma as a kid that kept you in survival mode, it kept you safe at the time. And that's what you needed at the time in order to survive. But as we grow up, you know, that, that, uh, hippocampus in the center of your brain the the filing cabinet the amygdala the filing cabinets that just record everything from uh the the third trimester even before you're born up until the rest of your life it's just recording everything and it doesn't judge anything as good or bad it just records and it will remember what worked back then oh when that stress happens right the i describe it as the bing you know the the stress happens the tiger's chasing you through the jungle and bing and all the blood drains out of your frontal cortex and into that reptile brain in order to help you survive and that's not the time to create it's not the time to heal it's not the time to make decisions you can't do it because the blood is drained out of the part of your brain that does all of that in order to make you survive. So the tapping actually helps relieve that stress. We tap on meridians in the body that connect your brain to your organs. And it's a pattern interrupt. When you're thinking about something you can just like nick he was just thinking about using that meth and it put him in his whole body started to tense up and sweat and itch just by his thoughts alone and you can do that too you know deep breath close your eyes think of something that just irritated the snot out of you this last week and when you think about that Notice what happens in your body. You can feel your body tense up. You might get that sinking feeling in your gut. You might hear the sounds. You might hear the co-worker in your ear. Or you've got this movie playing or, you know, I'm going to go to the water cooler. I'm just going to punch them or something, right? And you can feel that in your body. So same thing, deep breath, close your eyes, and think of a happy memory. And your whole body just starts to relax. And the only thing that changed, you're still sitting in the same chair, the same environment around you. The only thing that changed is what you were thinking about. You have that much control over what goes on in your body up to a point because that subconscious bus driver back there will remember those things from your past and think bing 
oh, this is what worked when you were a kid. This certainly is going to work now. And those same coping mechanisms don't necessarily serve us anymore as adults. But we wire and fire, fire and wire, right? And we have to break those neuron pathways to create a new one so we don't respond in the same way the next time that trigger happens. Sue has been on quite the journey since reprogramming her subconscious responses, and it's showing up in her life. She's lost over 40 pounds. She's focused her intention on helping others heal in this way. And she's created a business that now has clients all over the world. And she works with these people on Zoom from her home in rural Ohio. She helped clients overcome overweight, of course, but she's also helped with fibromyalgia, feigning and vertigo, joint pain, helping people quit smoking, dealing with chronic anxiety, issues with money, career problems. I mean, the list really goes on. So what started with a desire to lose weight grew into a mission to help others do the fundamental thing that keeps us all whole, loving ourselves. I asked her if tapping could help us all be better to one another. Absolutely. It's once we finally learn who we are and that we're lovable, when we learn to love ourselves, we can't love anybody else well until we learn to love ourselves well. And when we finally figure out that it's not your job to make me happy, you know, when we're living in that victim mode, that um, everybody else has to change in order for me to feel good. That's just not true. Like talking a little while ago, it's like, you know, deep breath, close your eyes. Think of that happy memory. That is me taking responsibility for my own emotions. And I am choosing to be happy. I'm not waiting for you to hold me on a pedestal and, you know, focus your attention only on me, which is what a lot of us do. It's like, no, you need to hold me in your attention so I can feel good. You need to make me feel loved. You need to make me feel appreciated. That's not their job. Let them off the hook. It's not their job. And, and, and choose to be well on your own. And it, it's possible. You can do that. You tap out all those crappy memories and replace them with some good ones. My conversation with Sue was fascinating, and we covered a lot of ground in her interview. If this subject speaks to you, I encourage you to listen to her full interview, which is available on choicewisdompodcast.com. You can also learn more about Sue's work on her website, chandlerwellness.org, and she has some free videos on her Facebook page. I love tapping is the handle. She offers expert advice and a whole lot of humor. If for no other reason to visit, you can go check it out for a really good belly laugh. With a sparkle in your eye, forever young. Every moment this is life, take it as it comes. Now we come full circle to spirit. The two conversations that I've had so far are practically grounded in two things that we can easily understand mind and body. But what about spirit? Just like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, the inspiration I took from Grandmaster Yim 
was the exceptional peace that this man possessed. It was a tangible energy I could feel, and I yearned to experience that myself. One of the people who has inspired me to find peace by encouraging me to listen to my inner wisdom is Lynn Marion. Lynn is an intuitive life coach, and if I had to describe the fuel that Lynn runs on, it is a full connection to spirit. Now, I know for me, for many years, this idea of connecting to spirit felt like I needed to go to church more or read the Bible more. But, you know, oftentimes, somehow those two things always seem to be linked to this image I had of God as this angry father sitting in the corner with his arms crossed, kind of judging me for always falling short on that. Or I thought you'd have to take spirit like in this whole different direction into the realm of trusting the universe and all that kind of felt a little woo-woo and, you know, kind of seemed to involve wearing crystals and burning incense or something like that. But, you know, the truth is that spirit is really somewhere in between because it involves a real commitment to trusting yourself and the wisdom within because that wisdom comes from your higher self which is connected directly to spirit. So now, Lynn is an interesting study in how to trust in spirit. She loved numbers. So from an early age, she dreamed of being a math professor. But her soul had other ideas, and she chose to follow. I asked her how one goes from being a math professor to an intuitive life coach. Yes, I love that question. So as you said, um, I was not planning to become an intuitive life coach. If you would have told me that when I was studying at university, I would have said, I'm sorry, I think you have the wrong person. But <laughs> what happened was that I guess the mathematics, I still love mathematics, but that route was sort of from my ego mind. And I had chosen it because I was hesitating between psychology major and mathematics. And I chose mathematics because it was more unique. There were less people. But I've always had a passion for humans and behaviors and interactions. So anything to do with self-development, really, human self-development. And so over time, I was intuitively guided to life coaching. I didn't even plan it. I was just in between two contracts. I was mostly working in humanitarian work and project management. And because upon a waiting between two contracts, then I sort of fell upon NLP, which is Neuro Linguistic Programming Coaching. It was an introductory uh, course. So I said, hmm, it kind of piqued my interest. And so I signed up. And after those four days, they asked us, okay, you can now sign up for the, uh, like, not the elementary, but the primary life coaching. So I signed up for that one, which was over six months. And then I really loved that one too. <laughs> and so then I ended up signing up for the master practitioner NLP um, program. And at the end, I said, well, I guess I'm a life coach. Her answer to my question intrigued me. And I had to ask the next logical question. How do you know when you are intuitively guided? Or in other words, how do you trust your own intuition? So what was happening is that I was mostly so working on projects. So when I studied, um, my, I did my master's in management at university, then they explained to us, I remember this, a business has a start date and no end date. 
a project has a start date and an end date. So I'm a project girl. I often have start and start end because I love diversity. So then I was in between contracts and all of a sudden it was as though I was getting this inner niggling feeling that, hey, you know what? You should do something else. This is becoming repetitive. These project management consultant contracts and I was really surprised because it felt like I had to break up with my passion. You know, that feeling when it's like, mm, I think this relationship is over as much fun as it's been. And so it was as though I had to open up to more creativity and to more possibility, which I didn't even know what the title was. So I ended up consulting my very first life coach. And she had me explore these exercises, these life coaching exercises. And she specifically told me, she said, listen, for your next path on your career, career avenue, then you cannot be attached to any title. She's like, you're used to having titles, but this time just allow yourself. And she said, ask yourself what you truly seriously passionately want and I just stared at her I said okay and I said well how do I do that she said you open up a journal you write the question even capital letters if you want at the top of the paper and then you say what do I truly seriously passionately want and then she said let yourself with a capital s answer like don't go into your mind she said take a pen and answer it it could take two weeks you could jot some answers down. You can come back to it however it goes. And so I decided to lend myself to that exercise without knowing what it would give. And so here I was, I went out and purchased a beautiful journal. Then I wrote that question down in a color marker. <laughs> and then I took a pencil and I said, okay, let's see. Like I was curious. I became curious without even knowing if anything's going to be written down, but I was not allowed to write titles. So that was really, really a key point for me. So then I ended up writing down like 15 bullet points. My hand was just writing on its own accord. And so, for instance, it wrote um, self-development consultant, yes. uh, helping consciousness evolve. And it went on and on like this. And I was like, wow, who wrote this? <laughs> Wow. Yeah. And it took five minutes. And after that, she told me once it's done, you put it close to you where you can see it either in your kitchen, on your, in your bedroom, wherever. And you read it every day for 21 days. Hmm. And then you see what happens. And within two weeks, so 14 days in my case, I saw the words Akashic Records for the very first time. And so then it caught my attention and I felt a strong light. And so I ended up exploring more of that. And I also ended up seeing the NLP life coaching training. So both things popped into my life at the same time. When we form new habits, it seems like there is this rule of 21 associated with them. So say you want to start a new exercise routine. You may be advised by your trainer to commit to doing the exercise for 21 days consecutively. 
So Lynn explained that it is the same with reprogramming your subconscious mind. It takes that much time and the repetition to cement the new habit or way of thinking into your subconscious. I asked her how she knew it had worked in her case. I remember I was super excited. I was just in awe because I had never heard of either, either one. So I was like, wow. And the more I read on each one, the more I felt lit up from the inside. So it was like this tingling feeling. And I was like, wow, I think I found it. And it was, it was as passionate, if not even more than what I had already done in the past, which I really loved what I used to do, but this was at another level. So that's why I thought, oh, I think I understand what people mean by soul level. Have you ever heard someone else's story and felt like you were lit up by that experience? By just hearing something that inspires you, it somehow ignites something within you. According to Lynn, that's the clue that you are on the right path in aligning to what your soul wants. And this is the way we can overcome the ego mind and tap into our soul gifts. I asked Lynn, what would have happened if she'd chosen to stay on the path of being a project manager rather than taking the leap of faith to start a life coaching business? I think that if I hadn't lent myself to that exercise, to that new way of operating, really, because writing a question and letting your your pen write the answer, like your body and your being, right? Then I think I, I would have stayed like the same, which means whatever thoughts I was having or beliefs or references, then I would have gone back because the ego mind can only know what it already has experienced. Mm. It cannot know the unknown. Your soul can navigate the unknown, but the ego mind only, it's like an accountant. It can only classify and organize according to what is already has been done. And so I would have continued on an ego level without realizing it. And people spend their whole lives doing that. Yes, some people might choose to do that their entire lives because it takes a lot of trust and faith and a certain courage to try differently, to open up. I asked Lynn for her best advice in taking a leap into something new, especially if it's unique, different, and unlike what everyone else is doing. And she had this wisdom to share. Personally, I would suggest like don't expect to feel so comfortable within the next hour or maybe even 24 hours, like allow space. Just like when you move to a new city or new country, you need time to adapt and integrate. Some people take three months, others take a year. It doesn't matter how long clock time it takes. So give yourself that space, breathe, you can journal. And I always advise my clients not to talk about it to people that would be closed and shut down because it's as though you're having this seed and you're planting it. And if someone is not comfortable with it, you're already shaking while you're planting this. You're like, okay, okay, I'm going to do this. And I don't really know. And then you plant it. But if you were to present it, so it's, it's really in a vulnerable state, like it hasn't even grown yet. And so if you were to present this seed and talk about it to someone that is going to shut you down, then they might completely destroy where you were going to plant it and it might be thrown away. 
So I always advise people, do not share, even if it's your partner, even if it's your, I don't know, your family, your children, whatever it is, your best friends, if they are not ready, wait until your seed is planted. And that means within your own self as well, and you've accepted it, then it'll start to grow. Then they can comment, oh, this is ugly. This is pretty. It doesn't matter. It's growing on its own. (laughs) When you are faced with new choices, new possibilities, new avenues, if it's new to you, you will not know what to expect, what the outcome could be, what the result can be. And so I would suggest if you can just allow yourself to see and do not judge yourself. If, if it's a complete failure, that's perfect. If it's, you know, something that really worked out, that's perfect. Just allow yourself to experience it and then you can adjust and adjust. And without realizing I didn't let myself adjust. I would, I wanted it to be 0% or 100%. That doesn't work. (laughs) So (laughs) It took me NLP life coaching that taught me that 10% is good. 1% is good. 30% is good because you're moving forward. You're going towards something. And so when you have these choices to make and it's something new, then just allow yourself to see. And ever since I've, I've been doing that, it's been amazing because I allow myself so much more. Lynn went on to say that sometimes it takes more than one take to get things right. She's such an inspiration, and honestly, she was the person to inspire me to finally start this podcast after five years. So here we are with episode one, and you know, it may only be 58% of what it will become, but it now stands on its own. I am sure over time it will get better, but I hope that this first cut has provided you with something that can inspire you to make choices that will create the life that you want. Until next time, I'm Gail Goodman Lynch, and this is the Choice Wisdom Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Choice Wisdom Podcast. This podcast was created by me, your host, Gail Goodman Lynch, and is produced and edited by the amazing team at MZ Studios in Dallas. The opinions expressed by my guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owner or producers of this podcast. The information shared on Choice Wisdom is intended to inspire you, but not presented as legal or medical advice. Choice Wisdom is part of the Co-Equal Network, copyright 2023, all rights reserved. For more information, please visit choicewisdompodcast.com. Every breath from here on out makes you remember what life is all about.